Okay, good evening everyone. Thanks for uh, joining the new venue. Um, I just want to begin by uh, thanking the youngest Rav Woodmere for hosting the Shir. Thank uh, Rabbi Shechter for his hospitality. Thank you uh, very much for hosting the Shir. Is there a way to get the AC on? Is it on? Yeah. So um, the series of Shirim on Sefer Bamidbar are sponsored by a good friend, um, Rabbi Isaac Yasolovsky, Loyal Nishmas' father, Rabbi Shabsi, then Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac, Shalom Shavan Aliyah, Vilmeel Siyoshar, Rishon Mishpacha. The yard site was today. So on the yard site, also the Shirim are sponsored by the Zakheim family, Loyal Nishmas of Shloima, Eliezer Ben Rav Yaakov, and tonight's shir is sponsored by Yaakov Tzvi and Chana Yalpunsky in honor of their chasana right now. So we wish them bracha uh, v'atzlacha. Shri b'shatay v'matzlachas. No. <laughs> okay, welcome everyone. Tonight we have a little bit of an unusual topic. Um, usually we like to speak about inyanim relevant to the parsha, inyanim halacha, sometimes lamdos. Uh, tonight we're going to speak about historical subject, very interesting subject. And uh, let's begin in the following way. The Gemara tells us in Masech Tegitin that Vespasian was dispatched to uh, destroy the Beis HaMikdash, Aspasianus Caesar. And uh, as he gets there, he is given word that he just became the emperor of Rome, so he sends his son, Titus, to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. And uh, Titus sets out to uh, destroy. He has a meeting with Rabbi Yechem and Zakkai. Rabbi Yechem and Zakkai sneaks out of the city, and Titus uh, accedes to three requests of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And ultimately, Titus destroys the Beis HaMikdash. He takes the paroiches, he garlands the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash, as we know, as we say in the Kinnah, that he slashes the paroiches, and the paroiches spurts with blood, and he takes these kalim back to Imperial Rome. We don't know exactly what he took, but we're about to find out that much of it is not legend, but actually it is discussed in various places in the Gemara and the Medrash, which Kalem Titus took. So let's begin in the Gemara in Yuma, on Daf Nun Zayin. There is a certain Amoira. This Amoira, he uh, must have visited Rome uh, at least a number of times, or he had a, quite an extensive trip to Rome. The Gemara says, Tana, keshuhu maze, enoi maze ala paroiches, ala paroiches. That when you sprinkle the blood on Yom Kippur, to do the Avodah on Yom Kippur, you don't sprinkle it on the Paroiches, but you sprinkle it toward the Paroiches. You don't want to get blood on the Paroiches. Then the Gemara says, I'm Rebbe Rabbi Yossi. It's not true. Ani re I saw the Paroiches in Rome. I was in Rome. I saw the Paroiches. And there, there are a lot of droplets of blood on it. So... So he was there. He saw it in the museum, wherever that was, in the uh, underground Vatican repository. But he saw the paroiches, and on the paroiches, there were droplets of blood. Says Rashi, what was Rabbi Rabbi doing in Rome? You know, uh, he, went on, he went on a summer cruise to Rome. What was he doing in Rome? So Rashi brings a very interesting story that's recorded in Masech Dami'ila, Yudzayin Amabes. Basically, the Romans made a decree, a three-part decree that the Jews can't keep Shabbos, that they can't do Brismila, and they can't keep Taras HaMeshbacha. So when Amora disguised himself as a Roman, he took a nice Roman haircut. You could go today to West Broadway and request a Roman haircut. And uh, they thought he was one of them. 
And he says, you, you, you uh, crazy Romans, don't you know? If you have an enemy, you want them to be rich, you want them to be poor. They said, we want them to be poor. So let them take Saturday off. Well, if you want them to be poor, why do you want them to work on Saturday? He said, good point. We'll let them work on Saturday. Then he said, okay, uh, if you have an enemy, do you want them to be strong or you want them to be weak? Uh, I want them to be weak. So then let them do brismila. If you have an enemy, do you want them to be um, multiply or you want them to stay stagnant? No, we want them to stay stagnant. Okay, so let them keep Taras HaMeshbacha. What's the, what's the big deal? So here, this Amira snuck in and he successfully abolished the decree against Shabbos, against Taras HaMeshbacha, and against Brismila. But then they discovered he was a Jew and he, he blew his cover. You know, uh, so sometimes you could go into a room and let's say if you're wearing a mask, nobody knows who you are. You cannot res- recognize you, right? But uh, Rabbi, this Amira was discovered, so they needed Plan B. So Plan B was like this. They decided to send Rabbi Lezab Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Lezab Rabbi Yossi, what are we going to do? He prayed to God, he prayed to God. And then all of a sudden, Yavon Shalom sent a demon to occupy the body of the son, the daughter of the Caesar. She was occupied by a demon called Ben Talmion. Okay, she was occupied by this demon, and Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yosef, they didn't know what to do. She was, you know, possessed. So they said, "We got to get a big rabbi." So Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yosef, goes to the Caesar, and he uh, says, uh, "Ben Talmion, get out of the girl!" And, and the demon pops out of the girl, and she's back to new. So they said, "We'll grant any request you want." So he said, "Okay, take me to the treasury." Now, apparently, he saw the parechas there. He saw other things there, as we're about to see. He saw that sits. We'll see what else he saw. But he just requested to see the document upon which was written the various decrees. He took the documents, he ripped it up, and uh, he was able to abolish the various decrees. So that's another account of Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi trip to Rome. So, so far he saw the Paroiches, he abolished decrees, and let's take a look in the Gemara and Sukkah on Daphne. The Gemara and Sukkah on Daphne says, Amr Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Ani reisiv b'roimi. I saw the tzitz. You know, the tzitz was the uh, forehead plate in Rome, and on it was written, Kodesh Lashem. So here, Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Yossi has a second, uh, he has a second sighting. He has a second uh, a sight. What is that? Number one, he saw the paroiches, and number two, he saw the tzitz. Furthermore, very interesting. You guys have sheets? We're out, we're out. The, the, the third sighting. Remember the Gemara in Gittin? The Gemara in Gittin says that uh, Titus said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hey God, you only have power over the water. You come, wait until I go into the dry land and then try to do battle with me. So Yvon Shalom says, You think uh, I'm limited in my capacity where I could take you on? Titus, I'm going to take my, my most minor creature. And the Gemara says a gnat went up the nose of Titus, and the gnat started pecking at Titus's brain. And the Gemara says by the time the gnat was finished, the gnat was like uh, the size of a bird. By the way, it's very interesting. Um, if you look in the writings of Josephus, he writes that even though Titus was a grumpy, arrogant, irritable uh, bear, at the end of his life, he relaxed and he calmed down. So I once heard when I was a bachar, I heard from a Victor Miller's at Sakavracha that no kidding, when you have a gnat pecking around in your brain, it sometimes uh, could be calming of uh, other irritants. But anyway, 
So the Gemara tells us that the size of this gnat turned into a two-liter, two-litrin. And uh, interestingly, the Medrash says in Kohelis Rabbah, that Reb Lezer when he got to Rome, not only did he see the paroiches, not only did he see the tzitz, he saw the size of the net, and in fact it was two liters in volume. Fine, that's the third sighting. Fourth sighting. And it was in the days of Achashverosh. Now, Ishihudi Haya Rabavi, where did Mordechai HaTzadik live? Shushan he was in Shushan Abira. Ask the Vilna Gain, he was in Shushan Abira. What does the, the Megillah mean? He was in Shushan Abira. Says the Gura means like this. Mordechai was already in Shushan Abira. So how is Rivansham going to orchestrate that? Think about it. Shushan was in Persia. At the time, where was the capital of Persia? It was, it was elsewhere. But Mordechai was already in Persia. And... Basically, Rebansham orchestrated events that Shloimai HaMelech, that, that Mordechai, since he was already there, so what happened was Achashverosh ended up going there because that's where uh, Mordechai was already. What did Achashverosh want to do? Achashverosh wanted the throne of Shlomo HaMelech. So uh, he went to Yerushalayim, he surveyed it, it was extremely big, it was extremely heavy, and there was no way to import the throne of Shlomo Melech to Yerushalayim. So he uh, called up, he Googled, you know, Solomon uh, throne imitators, and he got a few numbers, and he got the best contractor, and he got a good deal on someone to imitate Solomon's throne. The only thing was... Chinese yeah, Chinese company. Uh, from, uh, they, they, they work out of a uh, laboratory in Wuhan, primarily, and they were able to imitate the throne, but they worked only in Shushan. The only people in the world who could imitate the throne of Shlomo Melech was in Shushan. Why did Rosham make it that way? Because Ishihudi Hayab Shushan Abira. Mordechai was there already. So since Mordechai was there already, Hashem, why trouble Mordechai to go to Achashverosh? We'll bring Achashverosh to Mordechai. Was Make a long Shushan story. Was it Shushan Abira? What? Was it in Shushan? Shushan? That was, go to to- there's something called TorahAnytime.com. You'll check out that share. But uh, what's very interesting is that Titus took the throne of Shlomo Melech, but he could not get it intact, so he took broken pieces of it, and he brought it back to Rome. So this is the fourth sighting of Rebleza Rabbi in Rome, that he saw the broken fragments of the throne of Shlomo Melech. So these are four sightings of Rebleza Rabbi Number one, he saw the Parachas. Number two, he saw the Tzitz. Number three, he saw the, the gnat in Titus's brain. And number four, he saw the broken fragments of the throne of Shlomo HaMelech. Now, if one were to go today to Imperial Rome, and that's what you have on your other sheet, one of the most dramatic images in all of Imperial Rome, actually one of the only images in Imperial Rome that is uh, the people are clad are the pictures of these legionnaires carrying away the menorah of the Beis HaMikdash. That is our tradition. In fact, some Roman Jews do not have a Messiah. They will not walk under the arch of Titus. And what we're going to discuss tonight is a very interesting subject, and that is we're going to learn about a number of the details of the menorah of Shlomo HaMelech, of uh, the first Beis HaMikdash, and we're going to see that our tradition of the way the menorah looked is contradicted in many ways by the menorah and the Arch of Titus. 
And how do we reconcile that? And do we have to reconcile that? So let's begin with Rashi and Parshish Truma. We know the Menorah has a Yerach. Al-Yerach HaMenorah. What is the Yerach HaMenorah? So Rashi says that is the regel of the bottom part of the box of the Menorah. And that box had three legs. Okay, that is the opinion of Rashi. That the Menorah had three legs. You knew that? That's an interesting chiddush, right? Rashi learns the menorah had three legs. In fact, Rashi in this week's parsha says, "Ad yerecha, ad pircha, mikshahi, ad yerecha, ad ad pircha." Yerecha, Rashi says, is the box. So it's interesting. Rashi's saying the menorah was put on a box, like an ice cream cake. That's what it looked like. It was placed on an ice cream cake, which, by the way, is exactly what it has on the bottom of the picture on the menorah in the Arch of Taz. The only thing is, Rashi says, Sha'al Raglayim, that are on legs. Likewise, the Rambam says, Shloisha Ragalim Hayula. The Rambam Beis Habachira, Parak Yimel, Halacha Beis, says that the menorah had three legs. Here's, here's the problem. No, because the... That's our Masoirah, that the Menorah had three legs. So the question number one is, if this is the Menorah of the Beis HaMikdash, what happened to the legs? There are no legs on this Menorah. All you have is the Yerecha, you have the Shida, the box, the ornamental box, but where are the legs? That's question number one. Question number two. Let's talk about the design of the Menorah. So most Menorahs today, that, you know, if you're lucky that your Shver uh, gets you and you get married, that the father-in-law gets you, is, uh, you know, it's a semicircle. It's a semicircle. That's what most menorahs look like. I think that's a, a very nice design. However, if you look in the Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra has two commentaries on Parshat Truma and Parshat Tzitzavah. I didn't even, I wasn't aware of this. And that is, the Ibn Ezra has a short commentary and a long commentary. In the short commentary of the Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra says the six branches that emanate from the menorah are chatzi eagle, half a circle. That's uh, typically what a menorah looks like, yeah? That, that's, I don't think, one of the choices for the... Uh, it's very nice, it's beautiful. But this way you're safe, because whatever the menorah and the base Hamikdash looked like, that wasn't that, right? That's also not one of the options, but it's also very nice, you know? This way you avoid any all trouble, you know? But the, the, Ibn, the Ibn Ezra learns it's a semicircle. Oh, perfect, like the menorah in the Arch of Titus, right? Like the menorah your father-in-law bought you or you wish he bought you, okay? Well, then the Ibn Ezra writes in Parshat Tzadza that v'nochoinhu liois tam ya'aroich, to arrange, because... The Neros were a chatzi eagle. The Neros were a half a circle. A half a circle. That is the opinion of Ibn Ezra. And that is confirmed by the menorah on the Arch of Titus. And many learned, did you know that the Mogin Avram wrote a commentary on the Medrash called Yalk, on the Yaakot Shemani? Yaakot Shemani, one of the Medrashim, there's a commentary on the Yaakot Shemani called Zayis Ra'anon. You know, the Mogin Avram was probably the poorest of all the Noise Kalam and Shulchan Aruch. The Mogin Avram, he had no money. He could not afford even to by a pen and paper, and he wrote part of the commentary of Avram on the walls of his home. So the Magen Avram wrote a commentary on Yalkut Shemoni. Yalkut Shemoni says that the Menorah was Choizrin Chalila. A Choizr Chalila is a never-ending circle. Keminatara, like a crown. That seems to indicate that the Menorah was 
like a leichter, a candelabra that your mother-in-law bought you or you wish she did, right? So, now that's not like any opinion. Nobody says the menorah was like a, a circular candelabra. So, the Magen Avram cryptically says on the Medrash that the kunim, the branches, were round like a crown. So, does that mean it was a semicircle? Or I think it could also mean... What was the shape of the branches of the menorah? Were they square or were they circular? Maybe he just means they were circular. Bottom line is, the opinion of Ibn Ezra is the menorah was a semicircle. Good? Comes the Rambam. And the Rambam had a, his own personal diagram of the menorah. If you look in, I believe, the Yad HaChazaka, you have the Rambam's diagram of the menorah, which is diagonal. And Rabbi Avram ben Arambam, the Rambam's son, he writes, number 15, Anofim nimshachim migufa the branches that emanated from the body of the menorah, let'sad roisha, toward the top, b'yoisher, like my father drew it, loi be'igol, not rounded, but rather straight. Meaning, Rabbi Avram ben Arambam learns that the uh, menorah was diagonal. That is the opinion of the Rambam. In fact, look at Rashi, Rashi and Parshas Truma. Rashi says number 16, Lekanu Lekan. The branches of the Nura went this way and that way, but Alaksoin, diagonal. So the Rambam learns the Menorah was diagonal. Rashi learns the Menorah was diagonal. And Titus apparently poskined like the Ibn Ezra and not like Rashi and the Rambam. Now, if you have a machloikis, how to make the menorah between the Ibn Ezra, Rashi, and the Rambam, Rashi is a commentary on Chumash, so we wouldn't necessarily follow it lehalacha. The Ibn Ezra is also a commentary on Chumash. The Rambam is paskening lehalacha. So if the Beis Hamikdash were to be built, we would go like the Rambam. We would make the menorah diagonally. So the question is, how can this be an accurate portrayal? Or you decide who the question is on. This version of the Menorah and the Rambam's version of the Menorah do not seem to be consistent. And what's even stranger is if you look in the bottom picture, here for all you on uh, streaming live, you look in the bottom picture and you look at this ice cream cake box in the top left-hand column, what do you think that is? You have a picture? You can't tell. So what it is, it's called a darkone. Anybody know what a darkon is? A dragon. a dragon. How do you know about that? They have them in Lawrence, right? It's the same word. <laughs> same word. But basically, the Gemara Navoy de Zara says like this, that of all the mazoros, the, they're not problematic to draw except for the sun and the moon. Of all images, they're not, they're not problematic to draw except for a human image. And of all pictures, the one that is most idolatrous is a darkon. Darkon is the iconic symbol of Avodah And lo and behold, on Titus's uh, menorah, there were dragons, you know, flying everywhere. So is that possible? Then the menorah and the Beis HaMikdash, there were dragons? So this is a very interesting subject, and uh, we're going to uh, share three approaches to the subject. The first approach is a safer. I don't believe I've uh, cited publicly before. The first comes from the Sefer Likutei Sichais of the Admer of Chabad, Menachem Endo Schneerson. He is very troubled by this question. 
How do you reconcile the Arch of Titus, the image of the Arch of Titus, with the uh, tradition of the Menorah of the Rambam and Rashi? So he takes the following approach. He says that there's not a chance in the world that this sculpture and this image was the Menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. He says there were many idolaters, whether in Yushalayim, whether in Israel, whether in Rome, that had menorahs. Menorah, it's a, it's a nice uh, souvenir uh, gift. It's a nice uh, replica of what they had in the temple. But if you're an idolater and you're buying a menorah, you're going to get your specifically handcrafted menorah with your designs and your uh, uh, company. And you're going to put on it your symbols, namely the symbol of a dragon, the symbol of Avedizara. So the Likutei Sichai says that there's no question. Halachically, the menorah in the base of Mikdash was diagonal. And there's no question the branches were straight. So what is this? This was not the menorah in the base of Mikdash. It can't be. This is not the halach. This is not how they made the menorah in the base of Mikdash. They didn't make it um, curved. They didn't make it without legs. And they didn't put dragons on it. So it says Likutei Sichos. And he, um, he, he wrote it in Yiddish. And uh, I was looking on Oitzah Chachma. They don't have it. And I looked on HebrewBooks.org, they don't have it, but there is a, uh, a resource that has all the Sram Likutei Sichos, and I found this one, but it's in, uh, it's in Yiddish. So here we have a uh, Hebrew synopsis. He says, It is reasonable that that menorah, it was not the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash, it's a different menorah that was similar to it, and they used to make um, menorahs, especially and they made it in their style and in their with their pictures and their images, and that is what the menorah in the Shar Titos is. The most extensive article on the subject comes from a very interesting God of Israel, namely Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Halevi Herzog, first chief rabbi of Israel. My grandfather, when he was in the DP camps, he remembered when Rabbi Herzog came to visit and Rav Herzog told him he is coming from Rome. Grandpa said, what are we doing in Rome? He said, I had the list of 10,000 Jewish boys and girls who were given to Christian families during the Holocaust. We gave it to these families because uh, the, the parents didn't think the children would survive. And uh, Rav Herzog said, there are children, give them back, you're kidnapping them. And the Pope said, listen here, each one of these 10,000 children were baptized They've converted, and our law is once a child is baptized, we can never return them. They can never be given to a different religion. And Rav Herzog was thrown out of uh, the imperial city. He was thrown out of the Vatican. So Rav Herzog came to the DP camps. And uh, he has many interesting articles. In the past, we, we spoke out from his, uh, his sefer, the royal purple and the biblical blue on the subject of Techelas. And here, we have an article that Rav Herzog wrote on the subject of how to reconcile the image of the menorah with, with the menorah on the Shar Titus. So he gives as follows. He says, uh, interestingly, he says, who could possibly walk through uh, the imperial city of Rome and see the sight of the menorah on the Arch of Titus and their heart not skip a beat and chapat sitter when they see it's such a frightening image of them, the legionnaires carrying away the menorah. However, if anybody has any halachic knowledge at all, one would see immediately that the, our tradition of what the menorah looks like and the image on the Shara Titus cannot be more different. 
And Rav Herzog points out the three discrepancies that we mentioned. Number one, we would paskin like the Rambam, that the menorah was diagonal and not circular. By the way, it's very likely that the reason why most menorahs are circular is so that it doesn't look like the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, the fact that most menorahs are circular does not indicate that the, in the Beis HaMikdash the menorah was, was circular. It could be they specifically made the menorah semicircular so it's, it would not look like the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. Furthermore, Rav Herzog says the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash had three legs, like Rashi and the Rambam says. Furthermore, there's no doubt that the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash had no icons on it, especially, says Rav Herzog, in the times of the second Beis HaMikdash, the one thing that they kept away from more than anything else was Avedah Zarah. The first Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because of idolatry. So if there's one thing that they were very careful to avoid at any cost was idolatry, there's no way they would have an icon on the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. And uh, says Rav Herzog, perhaps you would say, though, that you're right. When Solomon, when Shoma Melech made a menorah, he, uh, he made a diagonal menorah. But who built the second base HaMikdash? Second base HaMikdash was built with the help of the Persians. And then it was destroyed by the Persians. And who rebuilt the second base HaMikdash? Everyone thinks, oh, second base HaMikdash stood for 420 years. Not really. The Persians built it. And uh, it needed to be restored soon after. So who built the second base, rebuilt the second base HaMikdash? Herod. Herod, King Herod. Maybe when Herod came in, now Herod wiped out all the Chachme Yisrael, all the, all the Tanoim. So maybe Herod, when he built the base of Mikdash, he built a Roman menorah. Maybe he, his menorah, towards the end of the Second Temple, was a replica of Roman menorahs. So Rav Herzog says that's impossible to say, because Herod had a change of heart. And the Gemara Baba Basra tells us that Herod wanted to do tshuva, and he asked Baba Ben Buta what to do, and Baba Ben Buta said, okay, rebuild the second Beis HaMikdash, which Hordes did. And if he built the second Beis HaMikdash, in all likelihood he built it with the wishes of the Chachamim, in accordance with the Halacha. It's very unlikely that King Herod would have built a faulty and an improper menorah, and therefore uh, Rav Herzog is very troubled. What's going on over here? Here, our Messiah is was diagonal. Our Messiah is it had legs. Our Messiah is there were no dragons. And all of a sudden, we have this uh, menorah in the Arch of Titus, and it sort of uh, bursts all the halachic traditions. So says Rav Herzog. Let's see who knows some modern Hebrew. He says, "Ka'amor." I'm on page three, second column. "Ka'amor ani al karchi nidchaf lahashara maod." Noezet, noezes. What does noezes mean? I am going to offer the following daring and courageous theory. And that is, the Romans took the menorah. And they're carrying it off to Rome. And, you know, the boats on the Mediterranean, it could get a little, uh, a little wobbly. It could get a little rocky. And something happened to the menorah. And the base fell off, and it fell into the sea. So now, okay, so what? Who cares? The thing is, you're going to have a procession. You're going to have a parade, a victory parade. There's no way the Romans are going to be marching with the uh, broken menorah and victory parade. So they called their artisans to repair the menorah. And when they repair the menorah, they're not going to put legs on it. That's a Jewish thing to have legs on the bottom of the menorah. 
Romans don't need legs on the bottom of the menorah, and they repaired it in uh, the way they know how to repair it. And they repaired it with, uh, with the idolatrous icons on the menorah. That is the daring um, thesis of Rav Herzog. And he says, look, it's got to be that way, because if you look at all the mosaics in, in Eretz Yisrael, which it's interesting, except for the mosaic that the printer of the Sefer... Now, here's, an inter- here, here's a good one. Where did I find this uh, article by Rav Yitzhak Isaac Halevi Herzog? So somebody came into our, our minyan, the Shabbos, and he said he once read an article by Rabbi Herzog about the, uh, the menorah on Titus's arch. So I'm searching, I'm searching, where is this article? It's in an Italian book. It's called... Any Italians over here? Scritti in memoria di Sally Meyer. So I called uh, Gedalia, I called Mizrahi. <laughs> he didn't have any. He said he used to have one in stock. I called Sfarm World. None of the old bookstores had it. And uh, I, I figured it probably has a Hebrew name. So I put in Sefer Hazikorum, Lish. I didn't know what his first name was. Sali, Lish. I put in a shin. Sure enough, Sefer Hazikorum, Lish Shloimai, Sali, Meir. It's an Italian. It's a book in tribute to somebody, Sali Meir. And uh, some kind of memorial book. And Gedolim wrote about Italian history. And Rav Herzog wrote an article in it. And he says, in all the pispasim, you know what a pispas is? All the mosaics found in the land of Israel, all the menorahs are diagonal. The only thing is, whoever printed this book, Skriti in memorial, he published a uh, mosaic that the, <laughs> that the menorah is semicircular. Bottom line is, says of Herzog, the Romans broke the menorah, and when they fixed it, they didn't fix it the way it was originally. They fixed it the way they like to make it, and the way they like to make it is without legs and with dragons all over it. I would still ask, but why is it semicircular? That doesn't fit into the approach of the Rambam. So basically, so far we have two approaches. The Likute Sichai says that this was not the menorah, the Beis Mikdash. It was some guy's menorah. After all, if you're going into a Jewish city, you're going to take the valuable thing in uh, the temple, in the shul, or are you going to take the most valuable thing in some wealthy guy's house? Not to give anybody good ideas, you're going for the palace. So they, they had a, a possibility of taking the menorah. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We're going to see. There is a definitive location of where the menorah is today. But this, Likutei Sichai says, was not the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. Rav Herzog says, no. This is the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. Why else did they build the Arch of Titus? The Arch of Titus was built as a uh, celebration of Jewish defeat, and they wanted to engrave for all time the, the frightening image of them carrying out the menorah. So there's no question this is the menorah of the Beis HaMikdash. The only thing is, it broke. It fell into the sea. They're still looking for it. You know, you might want to... On the bottom of the ocean, there are all kinds of treasures, and one day you're going to find the, the bottom, the three legs of the menorah. But when they fixed it, they fixed it the way they know how to fix it. There is another approach to answer this question. It's brought in the Sefer Elef Dar. If you look at number 21, there is an opinion. Rabbi Yerucham Horowitz writes that the menorah was never taken to Rome, but instead it was buried, which is absolutely wrong. Not correct. The menorah was taken to Rome. I don't know. We don't know who buried it. But one thing we do know: the menorah was definitely taken. 
It was taken by the Romans, and where is the menorah? We also know that. It is also in Rome. How do we know? Look at number 22. The Avais, the Rav Nassan, gives us the location of most of the objects of the Beis HaMikdash. He says, Dvarim Elohim. The following things were made and they were hidden. The Kalim of the Aramayim. The Arayim. The broken Luchais. The Jug of the Man. The Staff of Aaron. The Jug of Oil. The Almonds on Aaron's Staff. The Flowers on Aaron's Staff. The Big Day Kahuna. The Big Day Kain Mashiach. But the mortar of the house of Abtinas that they ground, the Ketores, and the Menorah, and the Paroiches, and the Tzitz, they're still in Rome. So the historians could conjecture, but we have, we have Tar Shabbat Pass. The same Rabbi Lezab, Rabbi Yossi, he saw the Tzitz. He saw the Paroiches. We don't know that he saw the Menorah, but we, know, we do know that it was there. So the Menorah was, is definitely in Rome today. So what happened with this menorah? Because this menorah is not what the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash looked like. Well, says the Sefer, Elef HaMogen, he quotes the position of Rav Herzog that the bottom of it broke off and uh, the bottom of it cracked. And then he says, number one, what are the dragons doing over there? Why are there idolatrous dragons on um, the Menorah? So he says as follows. Two approaches. Ready for this? He says all the way on the bottom, on page three, bottom left hand of the page. He says, Yeshekasu kedvar pashat. Some say that it's obvious. Kitos asu They made a mistake. Shehetiku misham. By copying the menorah there. Now, I want to tell you one other thing. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Halevi heard success. The menorah broke. The bottom fell into the sea. They repaired it in an idolatrous way. So 1948, when the state of Israel was looking for a symbol of the Medina, so they took the menorah as a symbol of the state of Israel. Which image of the menorah did they take? They said, well, what's the most historic uh, painting or sculpture of the menorah, the, the menorah in the Arch of Titus. It says Rav Herzog, it was a big mistake. How could you take the menorah in the Arch of Titus? That is not what the menorah looked like. The menorah was diagonal, the menorah had legs, and the menorah had no dragons. So Rav Herzog sort of criticizes the choice of the icon and the image of the state. They should have uh, taken a more accurate uh, picture to, to serve as a symbol of the state. In any event, um, I guess it, it probably was daring of Rabbi Isaac Kursak to say that. He was the first chief rabbi. But in the Sefer Elef Dar, he says two possibilities. Number one, since when are we beholden to the accuracy of the sculptors and the painters of Imperial Rome? Who says, who, what evidence is there that they strove to, to sculpt an accurate painting of the, of the menorah? Maybe it's just an artistic rendition. And even if, uh, who said they paid attention? And the other thing is, historically, says the Sefer Elifdar, who built the Arch of Titus? Who built it? His brother. What was his brother's name? Domitian. Now here's the thing. According to the Gemara, Titus was not the emperor. Vespasian was the emperor. Titus was his son. 
Vespasian was the emperor for another eight and a half years. After Vespasian, Titus reigned for two and a half years. Then Titus died, and his stepbrother, Domitian, he built the Arch of Titus in memory of his brother. So now we're talking 11 years later, says the Sefer Elafdar. By that time already, you think they even knew what the menorah looked like? If they made it in the immediate aftermath, okay, so you could say they, they sculpted an accurate portrayal, but here it's 11 years later. It's not like Titus didn't build it, Vespasian didn't build it, his stepbrother built it, so who says it was accurate? To that I say... Yeah, I would say, look, if they had the menorah in Rome, if you have something like this, they're not keeping it underground. This is something that's uh, you could see. You, you could go today, you could see the Queen's Jewels, right? All the great repositories of the world were always displayed. There's no way the parochas is visible, and the tzitz is visible, and the menorah wasn't visible. It's 11 years later. Eh, who knows, you know? You had to be there. But um, these are the three possibilities. Number one, Likutei Sichais. This is not the menorah on the base of Mikdash. This is some personal menorah, some idolatrous menorah, but this is not the actual menorah of the base of Mikdash. The approach of Rav Herzog is the menorah on the base of Mikdash. It broke. They fixed it in a, in a Roman uh, workshop. This is not how the menorah uh, looked. And then uh, possibility number three and four is they didn't even strive to sculpt an accurate uh, uh, image of the menorah, and the fourth possibility is it was not even made until quite some time later, and in that case, uh, we don't know for sure that it was an accurate depiction. But one thing, Rabbi Sai, we do know, we do know for sure that the menorah was taken by the Romans, not like some suggest that it was hidden, and it is Adayin Munachin Beroimi, it is still placed in Rome. So, we hope, as uh, Hashem, Hashem should send us Eliyahu and Mashiach and David. And with that, we will again see the menorah. And according to our tradition, we would go like the Rambam, not like the Ibn Ezra. The menorah was diagonal. We would follow Rashi and the Rambam. The menorah had three legs. And certainly, it did not have any images or icons on the bottom of the menorah. Well, it keeps everybody alert and awake for the share. Okay, Rabbi, so thank everybody for coming. Next week, Hashem, 8.30, same time. And uh, Marav to follow. Yeah, shukayach.